Well, we are uh, wrapping up our series on being weird. How many of you got called a weirdo in the last seven, eight weeks? Anyone been called weird lately? Yeah, all the time. Yeah, that's normal, right? Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, well, we've been talking about weird, right, and about how Christians, as Christians, if you're a Christian, uh, you, you, you tend to have weird behaviors according to the rest of the world. The rest of the world looks at us and say, wow, Christians do some pretty weird stuff. You act a little weird, you use your money weird, you, you, you interact with your family weird. And so we do a lot of weird stuff according to what the world describes uh, as normal. We tend to be a little weird. And we're okay with that. This is part of God's design. God, part of God's plan is, is for us to distinguish ourselves. And, and it actually opens a doorway that when someone sees us acting or behaving in a way that seems pretty odd or different or weird to them, they can come to us and say, hey, what gives? Why are you being weird? And it gives us a chance as Christian persons to say, hey, let me tell you why I'm weird. I know this guy. His name's Jesus. Let me introduce you to him, right? And that becomes a, a medium for us to actually even witness through being weird. Well, we're wrapping up weird. Today is our last, last topic on weird. Um, and so, oh, they're just so excited for baptism. I know, crying out, I love it. It's coming, it's coming. Don't worry. Uh, so we're going to be looking at weird today. And today I just want to be honest and upfront with you. It is our last one that we'll be talking about, being weird. And we're going to be looking at uh, Christians. Christians tend to have pretty weird behavior when it comes to sex and sexuality. Sex and sexuality. And all the people who are listening online right now, if you're in a cafe, everybody just looked at you because your screen just said, sex and sexuality. So now you can witness to whoever you are like around, okay? Yeah, we're going to be talking about weird behavior, particularly as it relates to sex and sexuality. Parents, I just want to be upfront with you. Hopefully you saw the disclaimers, you got the email, you got the handout, right? We just want to be sensitive. We are going to be talking about a pretty sensitive topic. And frankly, as, as a whole, I just want to put a disclaimer out there. This is such a loaded topic. This is such a, we could do a whole sermon series on this, on sex and sexuality. In fact, we, uh, Pastor Bob has in the past. Um, I won't be able to cover everything that there is to cover related to this topic. Okay, so I'm going to ask for grace from you because I won't be able to address all of your questions, all of your concerns. I'm only going to scratch the surface at what God has to say about sex and sexuality and why we as Christians often get labeled weird or different because the world tends to deal with sex and sexuality very differently than us as Christians. So we are only going to scratch the surface, uh, but hopefully you will glean some helpful and good things. If I don't get to it, I just want to say up front, on the back of your half sheet, on the back of your insert, there are a couple resources out there that will help you continue the conversation around sex and sexuality uh, from a Christian perspective and point of view. There are some sermon series there, there are some helpful books there, and some one or two websites. Uh, we'll hopefully, we'll see if we get time to get to them, but I want you to have those if you need those. Okay, here we go. You ready to jump in? Uh, Christians, we behave weird when it comes to sex and sexuality. And this is such a broad topic. It can deal with love, sex, dating, attraction, intimacy, affection, uh, physicality, uh, how we're wired. All It's big, it's big stuff. And it's a broad category. But specifically what we're going to do today is we're going to spend time with one particular story. We're going to look at one particular story from Scripture and glean what we can, some normal behaviors and then some weird behaviors from one particular story. There are, sex is, is all over the Bible. Uh, I don't know if you know this. It's all over the Bible. It's all over the Scriptures. It's important that we do talk 
about it. That's why we're talking about it this morning. So I thought we could start by just uh, throwing out some Christian stereotypes out there when it comes to sex and sexuality. Let's see how many of you guys have heard these before. How many of you ever heard modest is hottest? Okay, like, okay, the high schoolers raised their hands. Okay. Well, okay, well, it's a phrase. It's a big phrase out there right now. Modest is hottest. And it has to do with how we dress ourselves, present ourselves, that when we dress and, and, and present ourselves in a more modest way, uh, that that can actually be attractive. And uh, that can be uh, alluring to Christian people who are looking for a Christian partner. They respect modesty, right? And so modest is hottest. That's a pop- it's a big phrase right now with young people. Uh, how many of you have heard the side hug rule? Okay, a couple more. Yeah, some more hands there. I didn't know about this one. Till like a couple of years ago, I went down, I was down for a wedding for a friend of mine, and uh, their church has a culture, they actually have the side hug rule at their church, and it is no, no, I'm a hugger, I don't know if you are, but I'm a hugger, and I just, I don't know, I never thought about it, I just hug someone, right? But uh, I'm, I'm walking down there, and I'm like, hey, nice to meet you, I'm going like this, and they're all like, whoa, nice to meet you, and they give me these like, side hug, side hug, right? And I'm like, what's up with the side hugs around here? And uh, buddy, the buddy of mine who's down there says, yeah, well, it's a rule in our church that actually, as Christians, we, we decide to uh, do the side hug as opposed to a front hug. And I said, well, that's interesting. I guess that's, you know, that's one way to approach the conversation and to be engaged in the topic of sex and sexuality. That's a rule that they have at their church. It's a particular church, it's a particular strain. Don't get me wrong, but it was interesting. I never heard of it before. Uh, how about this one? We're courting, not dating. Yeah, okay, a couple more hands went up on that one. Yeah, I love it. We're courting, not dating, right? I always feel like whenever you say this, we're courting, not dating. My friends used to say this all the time in college when, when, when my friends started, started courting, not dating. Uh, they, would, they would really differentiate because there's so much baggage that comes when we talk about uh, uh, dating in today's world. There's, there's a lot of baggage that comes with that, a lot of connotations that come with that. And courting was, was a word that, that Christians have picked up to kind of look, look at more of a, uh, a particular approach of when you're interested in someone and you want to be in relationship with them and explore the possibility of marriage with them, according, they, they, that in Christian circles often differentiates than dating. Dating kind of has a connotation to be a little more loose, a little more fluid, okay? So these are some of the ones. And they, what they really all do is point to, they all try to capture a sense of how Christians approach sex and sexuality, sex and sexuality. Well, I want to look to another piece. Instead of looking to our stereotypes, look to the book. We're going to dive into Genesis 39. It is a story about Joseph. How many of you have heard of Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat? Okay, everybody's hand goes up on that. Yeah, okay. Well, so this is Joseph, the same guy. Uh, when he, when he uh, grows up, if you've ever seen the, the a musical that's been written, right? It actually talks about the, the story that we're going to look at today. He has a particular experience with a particular person. Uh, he is a slave in a house. He is a slave in a house. And as a slave in the house, he is put in charge of everything that the master wants. It says in scriptures, it even goes to the point of the master didn't even have to worry about what food he ate. Joseph was so completely in charge that the master felt so confident in Joseph's abilities that the master didn't even worry about what food that the master ate. Well, so Joseph has this great experience of being a very uh, beloved and, and an upstanding slave. But then this, this happens. He catches the eyes of his master's wife, Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife. And here you can see in 30... 9, 6, and 7, 
This is in a way, this is the very, very first book of the Bible. It says, Now Joseph was handsome and good looking. And after time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and she said, Lie with me. I don't really know. That's a lot of interpretation. It could have been like, Lie with me. I mean, I don't really, you have to put your own interpretation on how that was. Uh, but she seemed to be suggesting, saying, kind of asking, Hey, lie with me, right? Be physically, be sexually active with me. That's when the Bible talks about lying with someone. They're talking about sexual activity, okay? And uh, Joseph's like, whoa, <laughs> no, not happening, not going to happen. Uh, this is so great. He talks, he says, look, you're, you're, you're your masters. You belong to your master. I'm head of this household of my master, and, and, and no one is greater in his house uh, than I am. I've been entrusted with everything in his house. I am not, you know, he's the master, but he's entrusted me with everything. Nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself. Why? Because you are his wife. How then could I do this great wickedness? How could, I, how could I be sexually active with you and sin, not only against my master, but notice, sin against God. Sin against God. And although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not consent to lie beside her or to be with her. One day, however, when he went into the house to do his work, and while no one else was in the house, she caught a hold of his garment saying, Lie with me! Notice the emphasis, the exclamation point there. Uh, That'll be important later. Exclamation point. Lie with me! But he left his garment in her hand, and he fled, and he ran outside. And then she's like, What? This This guy's been rejecting me. For day after day, I've been coming and saying, lie with me. He's rejecting me. Now I have a hold of his garment. And she's in a really precarious situation, is she not? There's there's the overseer, Joseph, running around in the nude. And everybody knows that, you know, she's in the door next door. And they see his nude, what's going on in the house kind of thing, right? And so what does she do? She pins it on Joseph. She pins it on Joseph. The Hebrew servant whom you have brought to us came in to me and he insulted me. But as soon as I raised my voice and I cried out, he left his garment beside me and he fled outside. She tries to pin it on Joseph to say, Joseph came to try to be sexually advantageous towards me, to take advantage of me. And he, he, I cried out and so Joseph ran, right? Joseph Master, not so happy about this whole experience, takes Joseph, he puts him into prison. The place where the king's prisoners were confined, he remained there in prison. That's a really sad part of the story, actually, for, for Joseph. And uh, we, can, we can talk a little bit about that as we go along. Well, I want to do two things. I want to first look at Potiphar's wife and some of the behaviors that she exhibits. And then I want to look at uh, Joseph as a contrast and some of his weird behaviors. Because he really does. He's got some weird behaviors according to what's really normal in our culture and in our world even today. You're going to see a lot of similarities. It's amazing. Scripture continues to speak to today. Let's see. Watch. Okay, first thing, Potiphar's wife. First thing she does to open it up. Do you remember where it opened up where it said, Joseph is handsome and good-looking, right? It starts by saying Joseph was handsome and good-looking, and so she cast her eyes upon him, cast her eyes upon him. I, I, I really believe this, that in today's culture, it is normal behavior, it is normal, it is normal behavior 
to, to, to strip people not only of their clothing, not only of, 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 of their physical, not only to strip them in that way, but to strip them actually in terms of their personhood in terms of their character, in terms of their emotions, in terms of their experiences. We strip away from them their personality, and and, and instead we objectify them. We make them an object for our pleasure, for our sexual uh, excitement. And this is just a reality of our world. This is prevalent in our world. We we, we strip people down to a sexual object. We objectify people. Uh, This is a reality, particularly with uh, pornography. Pornography is prevalent in our world. It is rampant in our world. There are resources on the back sheet. If you have a young one, if you have a teenager in your house, I advocate for you. Just better to be safe than sorry. Uh, There are some websites that can put software on computers now that will help. uh, And so I refer you to those. Uh, uh, Same for adults. Men, women, both. Uh, If pornography is an issue for you, we have Celebrate Recovery. It is a fantastic experience here. It's every week, and it helps with addictions that range the full gamut, including pornography. Please, 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 don't be normal when it comes to porn. Don't be normal when it comes to porn. Don't objectify. Don't strip away people's lives and who God purposed them to be. Don't, Don't diminish them and get yourself caught in a sexual addiction. It ends in pain and and suffering. Don't go there. It's too normal in our world to go there. Be different, be weird. Be different, be weird. And if you're in that place already, get the help that you need, okay? Uh, Here's one, sex sells. Who's heard that phrase before, sex sells? Yeah, did you know sex sells at Barnes & Noble's? Seriously, I was walking through Barnes and Nobles the other day. This is so true in our culture. This is so true in our world. I was walking through Barnes and Nobles, and I'm going down the magazine aisle, and I'm looking for Runner's World because I like to run, right? And I'm looking for Runner's World, and I'm like, whoa, sex sells at Barnes and Nobles. I couldn't believe it. Holy cow. People stripped of their identity, stripped of their personhood, stripped of their, their Christian, stripped down to a sexual object. And it was right there for me to look at. Sad reality of our world. But you can see it already in Scripture. You can see that in Scripture. This is what Potiphar's wife does. Okay, here's the next one. To habitually flirt. Now, when we get into flirting, flirting is fun. Flirting is good. It is not inherently bad. I don't want you to mishear me this morning. What is inherently dangerous about flirting, flirting is great, right? It's a lot of fun if you have flirting with someone that you're potentially interested in and you feel that spark and you want to be in conversation with them. The danger of flirting is where flirting happens in a habitual way. When you move from flirting to being a flirt. You know the difference? Flirting, a flirt. In today's contemporary language, they call this a player. You ever hear that before? Oh, he's a player. Right? This is, this, is how, this is how young people talk nowadays. Uh, you go to college and, and you, go to, you go to young people, young professionals right now, and uh, 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 both men and women, but men particularly, use this term player. He's a player. He plays the field. He's a player. And it's like this badge of honor in some way. And what it really means is that he is habitually, day after day, just like Potiphar's wife, day after day, engaging in sexual activity, engaging in sexual uh, uh, pursuits. And this even, this is so true. This is so true. It even happens within the context of marriage. Uh, uh, serial daters, there are also serial marriages. 
This is a reality. This is normal behavior in our world today, where you not only have one marriage, but you got two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine marriages. That's normal behavior. And here you see in Potiphar's wife, she's exhibiting this day after day, this habitual nature of finding the next person. This is dangerous. This is dangerous. It ends in pain. It ends in suffering. Trust me. Some of you can testify to that. How about some more? A couple more behaviors. Uh, to be pressured and to pressure. Uh, this is the part where we should, remember the, the, the emphasis, the exclamation point on lie with me? It went from lie with me to like seductive to lie with me, right? It's like pressure. That's true in our world. Did you know that? You probably, I don't know if you've encountered this or not, but man, let me tell you, it's true. Oh my gosh, the pressure to be sexually active in a dating relationship is through the roof. In fact, I would argue that at this point in time, it is almost, it is, it is more or less an expectation to be sexually active. To be sexually active before you get married, it becomes part of, it's in the movies, you've seen the movies. By date number three, it's the expectation. And it gets to a point where in our culture and in our world, people demand it. They, they pressure people to do it. If you're a young man out there right now and you're going through a lot of changes right now, let me tell you, it's weird, it's hard, I know, it's tough. Don't do this. Don't pressure. Don't pressure young ladies. I'll get in your face about that if I hear about that. Don't do that. It's damaging. It ends in pain for you and for others. But it's a reality in our world that people are pressured and, and, and pressure. And ladies, you're not exempt for this. Not exempt from that. Both to pressure and be pressured. Oh, compatible. This is one of the worst. This drives me crazy. Uh, people, um, when I was in college, people found out I was going to be a pastor. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, we can grill them for whatever we want, right? So people would come to me and you're the Christian who's supposed to speak for all of Christendom. And so they would, they would come to me. They always asked me questions. Two-thirds of the questions were on sex. The other third was on money. And almost always this came up. How do I know if I'm sexually compatible with them? How do I know if I'm sexually compatible? I have to kick the tires. How demeaning is that to, to, to analogize someone to kicking tires? But here's what I tell them. I'd say, you want to know if you're compatible? Let me tell you. You're compatible. Trust me, you're going to be compatible. If you're not compatible, it's not because of you're having any problem with your sexual activity. The problem with compatibility has to do with, 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 with the vulnerability that comes and the communication that comes and the trust that comes when you engage in a covenant relationship with someone and you say, I do forever and ever. I am yours. You are mine. And we got to figure this thing out. And sex takes work. And so this is my sexual appetite. This is what I, this what excites me and, and I enjoy and, that, that has to do with marriage vows and covenant relationship and vulnerability. You are compatible. The question is, how good are you at communicating within the context of a relationship? Do you have the depth of vulnerability and the depth of honesty that comes from being in a marriage covenant? Compatible. 
That's one. That's a soapbox. I could get on that all day. All right, here's the last one. To be sexually active outside of marriage. This is normal behavior in today's culture. I'm, I'm, I, I believe this. I really do. I think it's, it is normal to be sexually active both before marriage and, uh, sadly, increasingly normal uh, to be active when married outside of your marriage. Let me say that again. It is increasingly common, normal, accepted to be active before you're married and once you are married to be active outside of your marriage. Uh, it's, it's called adultery. God is not a fan. It ends in pain, a lot of hurt. It can be overcome. It can be dealt with. It can be navigated through. There can be restoration. There can be hope. We are forgiven and free people, and it can be done. In fact, I know that there are stories over and over where that is the case. And if that is your testimony, that is a brave one, and I commend you for it. But let me tell you, you are the ones who carry the most truth in this, that there is a lot of hurt and pain and suffering that happens when you engage in sexual activity before marriage or outside of marriage. Just a quick, quick story. I didn't share this last service, but a friend of mine who was in college once, and he came to me, and he, he, he was sexually active at the age of 13 uh, before he was a Christian. Uh, became a Christian in college. Gave his life to the Lord and, and really had a 180 turnaround. He's a baseball player, great guy. We'll call him, call him Ryan. Call him Ryan this morning. Uh, and Ryan uh, was a good friend of mine. And he came to me, like all the other guys, and said, Where in the Bible does it say we can't have sex before marriage? And uh, I had described him what fornication, no one ever uses that word anymore, fornication, but it says in the Bible, don't, don't fornicate. That means don't have sex outside of marriage. And, and he was just not so sure about this. He was uncomfortable. He didn't like it. Come on, let's just be honest. We don't, we don't necessarily like this one, do we? So he didn't like it. So he moved in with his girlfriend, and he was convinced, she's the one, she's the one. And he started saving for a ring, and he's like, can't, you know, I know she's the one. Can I be sexually active with her? I know she's the one. I'm, I'm living with her, and I'm saving for a ring. Isn't that good enough? Do I, and, then, and then he got into this whole thing about, should I even buy a ring? Do you really even need a ring? Do you really even need to save vows? Do you even need all that? Here's the sad reality with Ryan. I walked with him for four years. Two years after I was gone and he was gone, I got a hold of him, and I found out some interesting information. The girl that he was going to be living with and married to and sexually active with, she left him. Just one day left him. And he learned through pain and through sorrow and through suffering the value, the purpose of a marriage vow, a marriage promise. There was more hurt and more pain in that young man's life. I tell you, it was not an easy walk. Sexual sin is loaded with pain and suffering. It really is. Good news, you can be weird. It's possible to be weird when it comes to sex and sexuality. Here's Joseph. First off, in Joseph's story, he says, you probably don't remember this, but in verse 9 it says, like, you know, Master has given me everything but you. Why? Because you're his wife. 
Joseph values and understands the importance and the validity of marriage, marriage vows. This is important for those of you who are not yet married and for those of you who are married. This is important as it relates to those who are around you and are married. Joseph recognizes the value of marriage vows, the depth, the meaning, and the purpose of that covenant. Second thing he does is he says, you know, not only is this great wickedness and sin against my master, it's sin against God, God's design, God's, God's orientation as it relates to sex and sexuality. God doesn't like this. Flee from temptation. He runs, right? He runs in the nude. He's so bent on running, right? He's, woo, he's gone. Did you know, this is fascinating, sexual sin is the only sin in the entire scriptures where it says, run, flee, it says, flee from sexual sin. All the other stuff, it's like, put on your battle armor and grab the shield of faith and the sword and stuff. When it comes to sexuality and sexual sin, it says, tuck tail and get out. Run, Forrest, run. <laughs> Serious. That's what it says. You can check it out. It's in Romans. I mean, it's all over the place, but particularly it's in Romans. You can see it here. Run, Joseph. Run. I'm not trying to fight that. Get out and leave. Personal story for you. I was in middle school and I remember I was feeling really uncomfortable because I was invited over to a bunch of guys' houses and they put on a movie that I was not feeling very comfortable with. It objectified women in a very uh, revealing way and I was not comfortable with it. You know what I did? I ran. I was sitting in the room. I got up and I ran to another room. I sat down and I looked at a blank wall for two hours. True story. It's one of the most formative moments in my life. That's why I share it with you. Because it is possible to run, and in fact, in this, in this case, in these situations, you should run. Uh, be ex- expect abuse as it relates to it. You're going to be made fun of. Young people, if you're a virgin, you're going to be made fun for that. You're going to be made fun of. It's hard in college, particularly, when you're living with all the you know, mom and dad are gone, and you're living with, with a bunch of other people. You'll be made fun of for that. Get ready. That's okay. It's okay, you're not alone. You can expect it, just like with Joseph. She cried out and said, Joseph did me wrong. No, he didn't. Joseph bears the abuse that comes with a false accusation, right? All right, here's the last. We've got to get to this. Marriage, I, we didn't get to it in the story, but do you know that Joseph actually does get married? Joseph marries. Uh, he marries and he has two kids. And he gets to have a great relationship with his two, two sons. This is important. You should know this. Sex is awesome. Did you know that? It's awesome. It's great. It's part of God's design. It's part of God's plans. It's part of God's purposes. It's fantastic, you know? I love doing research on this sermon. Sorry, she's here too, isn't she? She told me she'd be here. Oh, she just went beet red. Yeah, no. Sex is great when it's in marriage and you get to be vulnerable with someone and you get to walk with someone and you have that level of depth of intimacy and you know that they're going to be there with you. And yeah, it's awkward, but you figure things out and all of a sudden it's fantastic and it's emotional and it's spiritual and it's got depth and it's got meaning. Did you know there's an entire book of the Bible dedicated to sex? Did you know that? It's called Song of Solomon. In seminary, I learned this. It's called... Egyptian erotic love poetry. Yeah, do you know who taught that to me? A Coptic nun who's like 75. 
That was interesting. Um, yeah, no, but it's a whole God loves sex. God made sex. Sex is about his design, his purposes, and bringing people together in an intimate, beautiful, fantastic way. In fact, it is actually the analogy that God in Scripture uses to describe the passion and the love and the intimacy between Jesus Christ and the church, between you and Jesus. God uses the analogy of sexual intimacy, that passion and that love. That's beautiful. Sex is great. Sex is awesome. But normal behaviors can lead to destructive, painful realities related to our sexuality. I wrote this sermon, and there's so much stuff I can't even get through it all. There's too much to say. Here's, here's what I want to go next, though, is if you're in a situation where you have made sexual mistakes... If you're in a situation where you have been tempted and failed, if you're in a situation where you know that you have uh, suffered from, from mistakes, you should know that you're not alone. In Matthew 5, Jesus raises the bar really, really high. In fact, so high that everyone in here is probably considered to have some measure of sexual sin. You've not heard that it was, you have heard that it was said to you, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman or man with lust has already committed adultery with them in your heart. You see, Jesus raises the bar when it comes to this reality because it's so true with us that we all fall beneath that perfection. And in doing so, in raising this bar, he's pointing to himself as the giver of love, as the giver of, of, of forgiveness, as the giver of hope and renewal and restoration of relationships. We all fall into this category. We are all broken sinners. Sexual sin is still a sin. It is a mistake. Here's the good news, and this is what Jesus points us to. Sexual sin is forgiven sin. Sexual sin is forgiven sin. And so that you know that without a doubt this morning, if you have engaged in any, throughout your entire life, any sort of sexual sin, I'm going to declare unto you the entire forgiveness of your sins. Here you go. As a called and ordained minister in the church of Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ's authority, I declare unto you the entire forgiveness of all of your sins. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have it, believe it, and you have it. You are a forgiven and renewed and restored people by the power of Jesus Christ. And he desires, if you are in a normal pattern of life, for you to move to being weird. Living free with forgiveness, hope, and restoration as a part of your life and your sexuality. I pray that you would know that this morning. Those resources are on the back of the sheet. If you need help with that, let me know. We're going to close with a word of prayer right now because I've already gone over. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have created us as sexual beings. You have given us the gift of sexuality, sexuality. 